0: So Luke chapter 18, one to eight. And he told them a parable to the effect that they all ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual moaning. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, will not give God give justice to the elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Great. So speaking to us this afternoon is our um, associate minister, Lee Kirkby. It's his first time speaking to us since he took on the job. So let's give him a big round of applause as he comes up to um, preach God's word to us tonight. (laughs) Lee, over to you. Cheers,
1: Ben. Great. Well, it's uh, wonderful to be here today and see so many of you uh, so early on in the life of uh, St. Thomas's as it is relaunched. And uh, it's brilliant to be speaking on such a a powerful passage as well. I hope you've got it open uh, in front of you, Luke chapter 18. If you've not, keep it open. Uh, That would be wonderful and helpful as we work through it together. Uh, so many of us um, moved here, about 30 of us moved uh, to Newcastle uh, at the beginning of September or over the summertime. And me and my family uh, were some of those people. I've got uh, a wife called Rachel and two little girls that are currently in the room behind us um, in the children's work. And uh, we had to live with our best friends, Ben and Ellie, uh, for quite a few weeks because our house in Newcastle wasn't yet ready. And uh, we were looked after so well. It was a amazing that hospitality and generosity shown by Ben and Ellie is out of this world and I'm sure many of you, if you haven't already, uh, will experience that at some point. We got the keys to our house and it was a wonderful moment and uh, three days in, the rain started in Newcastle and it doesn't seem to have stopped. This was like the beginning of September. It was pouring with rain And uh, we just happened to go around to take our brand new kitchen, which was in the back of a van, uh, to store it in the garage. And when we arrived, there was me, Ben and Joel, Uh, they came to give us a hand. This rain had made its way into the garage and onto the driveway. Now, if we'd gone an hour earlier, the kitchen, which I was going to store in that garage, would have been completely, completely destroyed. God, so gracious, we were there just as it happened. And then what happened was we discovered uh, that a manhole uh, just outside on the driveway, which was about 10 foot deep, was backlogging. And not only that, it was backlogging underneath our house into the crawl space. It's a bit like, uh, it's not quite a cellar, but it's a big crawl space. And honestly, I couldn't believe it. Three days in, we just got the keys to our new house and we were flooded. I thought, what on earth could possibly go wrong now? I then go in the kitchen uh, a couple of days after that and uh, two floor joists had completely rotten, separate issue. And uh, literally you could bounce on the floor of the kitchen in one corner and it was like being at a trampoline park. I thought, God, what on earth could go wrong now? This was our brand new house. We heard uh, the call from you very clearly that we should be in this house. Why on earth would you put us in this position where we're flooded, the kitchen floors falling through, and uh, all all these kind of things seem to be going wrong? And I questioned God. I was like, God, what's going on? Why have you allowed this to happen? Why did you bring us here? Have I heard you wrong, God? Why did this happen to me and not someone else? And it was one of those moments, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well, and uh, you've just had enough of the situation. You want to crawl up and escape from it. And even if you're not thinking that uh, about yourself today and your life circumstance today, I suspect you've all been there at some point. I just can't do this anymore. Get me out of here. Now this parable, this uh, message from Jesus in Luke 18 tells us that Jesus knew that we would go through these times in life. He knew that we'd have difficult times and certain times, challenging times. And like me in that moment of the flood and the rotten floor joyce sometimes we ask, Jesus, are you really there? Have you, have you forgotten me? Have you forgotten your promises over my life that you'll be there for me? That you will not forsake me? If we're honest, we sometimes ask these questions, don't we? And Jesus tells this, this parable to his disciples, Partly to encourage them and to encourage us. He wants them to stand firm in those situations when they're faced with them, but be persistent in prayer. Jesus wants his disciples and he wants us as his followers now today not to lose heart when the hard times come. So in Jesus telling this parable, he knew that we would go through difficult seasons in life. I wonder what difficult season you've been through or perhaps are going through at the moment. But the thing we need to take from this parable is that this is absolutely comfortable for us at the same time, to be reading this and to be hearing this. Because so often we feel like we're the only ones that go through this kind of stuff in life and that we just want to give up. But the reality is, Jesus wouldn't have told this parable Luke wouldn't have shared it with us if it wasn't going to be a reality. All of us will feel like this from time to time in life. Now, I think there's nothing more powerful than someone being completely open, vulnerable and honest in life, sharing the highs and the lows of what life throws at you. And so often we we try and mask the reality, don't we, of what's going on in our life. We try and cover it up. I'm put on a facade. My life's great. Everything's fine. I'm not going to let you in anymore. Why don't we make ourselves open, vulnerable and honest a little bit more? Because sometimes we just don't like taking the risk of looking weak and inadequate and incapable of dealing with them. And here in this story, we have a widow and in the most vulnerable moment of her life, she encourages us today to open up and to share with one another the burdens of life. Now, what we've got to also remember in this parable is that Jesus shared this story uh, probably a few days before Jesus then went on to die on a cross. And Jesus probably knew that it was going to be at least, well he did know, it was going to be at least 2,000 years until he returned to planet Earth again. So he knew there'd be disasters, there'd be situations uh, where we struggle in life, there'd be the challenges, the injustices, problems in society, political turmoil. He knew all of that would would be faced uh, at us. He knew there'd be persecutions and illness and so on. And we know, of course, that to be true today, don't we? We only have to look at what is going on in the life of our nation at the present time. So there needed to be some hope and comfort shared so that we wouldn't lose heart when the difficult times come our way. And the question we so often try and answer for ourselves is, how on earth am I going to survive and deal with these things? Because if we're honest, it's hard, isn't it, not to lose heart when you're in the middle of struggling in life. And that's why this parable is so important for us today, because it gives us hope. This parable gives us hope. So what can we do? What can we do as followers of Jesus so that we don't lose heart in life? And Jesus in this parable gives us three very clear practical um, ways in which we can make sure we don't lose heart. And the first one is this, and it may not shock you, it's pretty simple, but it's to pray. In verse 1, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. He told us we should pray. Now, in this parable, there's two characters. There's a judge and uh, there's the widow. Now, we know from the story that the judge didn't fear God nor man. Now, why is that important? Why is that a problem for us to, uh, to know about and be interested in? Well, because judges have a high calling in life, don't they? In the Bible, throughout history, even in our society today, judges have a high calling. They are God's representatives of justice here on planet Earth. And they should possess a fear of God. Representative that one day, all of us, all of us, judges included, will meet God, the ultimate judge, face to face. And there should always also be a deep respect for humankind. One who seeks to challenge and and bring justice for victims and hand justice to those who have committed wrong in life. That's the judge. And then we have the widow. Verse 3. Grant me justice against my adversary. Here we have a, a woman who's helpless. We don't know what she's facing. Perhaps it's financial difficulty. She feels powerless in life. Maybe she's been abused. Maybe she's needy. And the only person, the one person in life she had to go to in this moment was this judge. And he wasn't a good man. Yet she was persistent and she gave him a hard time. And we know that the judge persistently and consistently refused her request. He ignored her needs. Yet in verse four, let's have a look. It says, finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And if we're honest, we've probably all been in a similar situation like that, haven't we? We've just given in because someone has been so consistent. The easiest option is just to give in in order that that person would get out of our her and go away. And that's exactly what's happened in this situation. Here we have this strong image of what persistence looks like. And the judge gave in to her request, not because he had a change of heart, but because he wanted an easy life. His own selfishness came into part. Now what does this tell us? What does it tell us? Well, firstly, we've got to be careful not to just compare ourselves to the characters in this story. You know, it could be easy, couldn't it, just to, to see ourselves as, as the widow character and God as the judge in this story. But it's more than that. It's more than us being the, just the widow and God being the judge. Yes, at times we are helpless, we're needy, we're powerless and we all need a saviour. But with the judge, actually God is nothing like the judge in this story. You see, this man is a wicked man. He's a selfish judge. But what this parable actually shows us is if this judge, who had no fear for God or man, can eventually give justice to this widow, then how much more will God have for us? Just think about that for a moment. How much more will God have for me and for you and the reality is sometimes we cry out to God don't we 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 shout at him we're like God where are you in my injustice in this situation and all we get is silence but it can be pretty lonely sometimes can't it this Christian life God where have you gone but if God is meant to be even better than this wicked judge in this story, yet remain silent. That all plays into this confusing scenario for us, doesn't it? But here's the thing. Here's the thing Jesus is saying to us. Is even when you're dealing with all of this trouble, all of this struggle and the challenge in life, the thing to do is to never stop praying. Never stop talking to God. Never stop pleading with him, shouting at him, crying to him, screaming at him. You know, praying needs to be this discipline that we as followers should learn. You know, God doesn't answer our prayers like a wish list. He answers our prayers um, according to his wisdom. He will do what he wants to do and what is right. And sometimes that takes time. And sometimes what we have to do is remain patient and persistent and keep on praying. If we look at the um, previous chapter uh, in Luke 17, the disciples ask Jesus when he's talking about this uh, uh, forgiveness, they ask him, Increase our faith. How can we increase our faith? Now Jesus, here in Luke 18, is is telling his disciples, "Okay, right, now your faith might be shaken, but if you're determined to grow as a disciple of mine and see the world changed, then you have to be persistent in prayer. And that's our calling today as a follower of Jesus, that we must be persistent. It's a calling on us as a church here at St. Thomas's to be prayerful. And actually, if we're being brutally honest, to stop praying would be a literal demonstration from us that we don't believe that God can answer prayer. Think about it. We pray because we believe God can answer prayer. So, why would we stop praying? Because do we really believe he can answer prayer? We must keep on praying. And sometimes we're tempted to distrust distrust God, aren't we? Uh, When our prayers aren't answered. To forget that God is good, that he listens to us, that he performs miracles. Yet we simply pray because we believe that God is the only one who can help us. Tim Keller said this, Sorry, C.S. Lewis said this, and I think I've got it on the screen. He said, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. You see, it's in our praying that God acts. And that's what God absolutely loves to do. Acting is in God's nature. He loves it when we pray and we must pray. It's in his nature. And that leads me on to my my second point. We must always remember God's nature. How often do you sit down and reflect on the nature of God, who he is, his character, what he's about? How often do we thank God for who he is and what he has done? Verse 6. You see here, Jesus wants us to remember God's nature in telling this disciple, uh, the parable to his disciples. He says, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you. He will see that they get justice and quickly. So, what's God's nature? Every single page of our Bible tells us something of God's nature, who God is. Very quickly, why don't you just turn to Psalm 103? 103. Psalm 103. And I love this psalm because it's just full of nuggets of gold of giving us a a really good picture of who God is, his nature, his character. And to be quite honest, you could pick up any verse yourself and I'm just going to pull on a few. Beginning at verse six. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. That's God's nature. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. This is the nature of God, our God today, the one we believe in. He will not always accuse nor remain angry forever. This is our God. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. That's our God. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. That's our God. That's the nature of our God. That's who we celebrate and praise when we come here. The widow wanted her injustice to be tackled. Now, let me ask you today, what are the injustices in your life? What are the things that you're facing, or the people you love, or the community you're part of, the society, the nation? What are the injustices that we are faced with today? Perhaps the physical, financial, economic, political, so on. You see, Jesus wants you and me to remember God's nature in every circumstance that life throws at us. You see, God's nature is completely opposite to the nature of this unjust judge. And Jesus is promising that his father will bring justice to those who face trouble. He will judge those who persecute, those who abuse, and he will defend his chosen people and you might be asking, well, who are his chosen people? And Paul says in Romans, all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's nothing you can do that will make God love you any more or any less. He loves you. There's nothing you can put your hands to that will earn you your salvation. All those who call, simply call on the name of the Lord, will be saved. You see, if a selfish judge can bring justice to a widow woman, how much more can a selfless God, who is judge of all, give to us? That's an amazing image, isn't it? This is why Jesus is giving us this parable, because he wants us to know this deep within our heart to be real and true. That if a selfish judge can bring justice to a widow woman, how much more can I, God, who is judge of all, give to you? You see, God will always defend you and justice will always be done. Now some of us might be sat here today and we're waiting for justice to be done. Maybe something's happened to us, something has been said over us. I don't know what that is, but but you will. And we're asking when? When will this happen? Well, verse eight in Luke eighteen. I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. Quickly, he says, quickly. And the reality is, God will always bring about justice. But sometimes that is done here on planet Earth. And sometimes that will be at the end of time, in eternity. God is the ultimate judge and he will bring about the ultimate justice when Jesus returns. Peter says, do not forget this one thing. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. You see, it's so important for us to have an eternal perspective in life. And at the same time, think about here on earth now. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. Because we live in this scenario, this situation of the now and the not yet. We're living in the now and the not yet. Now that is not an invitation to us to have this careless and complacent attitude like the unjust judge in life. Quite the opposite. Because we serve a God who loves justice. And so as followers of Jesus who are called to reflect and reveal the nature of himself, we must have a heart for justice too. And we only have to look at the pages of history books, even in recent times, to see the barbaric behaviour of humankind being won over by the justice of God. Slavery. There's a whole ream of things where we've seen God break in and break through and tackle injustice. And there are things in our society today that are barbaric, that we are living amongst. And we need to stand up and be the nature that God possesses of justice in this society today we should remember that we are to reflect and reveal the nature of God through the way that we live our lives. So what are we called to? What does this parable encourage us to know? Now the prophet Micah, who um, lived and wrote 700 years before Jesus uh, walked earth, he reproached uh, unjust leaders He defended the rights of the poor against the rich and the powerful. And the people of the time were asking uh, Micah what the Lord required of them. And this is what he said. He said, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. To do what is right, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. God requires the same commitment to justice from me and from you today. Tim Keller said this. To do justice means to go to places where the fabric of shalom that is peace in, in the biggest most sense of the word has been broken down where the weaker members of society are failing through the fabric and to rep- falling through the fabric and to repair it. So, where do the concerns for the injustices in the world fit into our life? What are the things that stir our hearts up, make us get in into a, a holy anger? What are those things? Where are the injustices in our life, in the lives of those we love, in our churches, in society? There's a persistent knocking on the door of our conscience. What is it? And will we choose to do what is right, challenge what is wrong, and reveal the nature of a just and loving God to a broken world? That's what we're called to do. Mother Teresa once said this I cannot change the world, I can cast a stone across the waters to create many ripples. So we surely then must be people of justice, revealing God's nature to the world. The Apostle Paul said, God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy and he freed us from sin. And this leads us on to our, our last and final point. And Jesus so wonderfully just makes it clear to us too that he's coming back. You see, Jesus is coming again. And he's coming soon. You see, a few days after Jesus told this parable, he knew that he would be hung on a cross, that he would be dying and died. Yet Jesus knew that he was to bear all of the injustices of our sin and deal with them all on that cross on that day. And so Jesus talks of his return as the day when a new kingdom will be ushered in. A day when he will set all things right. He'll make all things new. And we know, don't we, because scripture tells us that a day is coming where there's going to be no more pain, suffering, death, injustice. The day is coming. Jesus is coming back. Now, what held Jesus on that cross? What held him there? when he was himself subject to so much injustice. It was us, and it was our sin. You see, we deserve that death that Jesus suffered on the cross. We deserved it, not him, but he took it. He went through with it, and he paid the cost for our wrong. I mean, just get your head around that concept, why would someone do that for us when it should be us up there? And the question is for us now is what, how does Jesus' death change the way we live now? How and why? And you see, in telling this uh, parable... Jesus, what he's doing actually is really clever. He's, he, he's so clever. He's giving his disciples a strategy for dealing with the time in between his death and his coming again. That's what we have in this parable. We have a strategy. And it's a simple strategy, but it works. And he knows it works. That's why he's told us it. And it's this. Don't stop praying. That's what we're to do in this now and not yet time. Don't stop praying. And here's the thing. Do you know our prayer lives are a good indicator as to the health of our faith? It's true. Just have an honest conversation with yourself. At the moment, you'll know if you're in a strong place or perhaps in a weak place. Your prayer life is a good indicator as to the health of where our faith is at at the moment. And this is what Jesus challenges us all with at the end of this parable, because he asks this question. And as I read this question that Jesus asked, I want you to ask yourself this question. When the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? You see, what Jesus is asking here is when I come back, will you be ready for me? You see, when we give up in prayer, we essentially don't believe in God for who he is. And that's why prayer is absolutely pivotal to our growth as a follower of Jesus, because it draws us closer to him and it encourages us to be completely dependent on him. And it's only when we call on the name of the Lord that we will be saved. Yet how many times in our lives do we call on other things? because we think they will save us. I spoke at a graduation ceremony on Friday, and it was a graduation ceremony that commissioned about 30 youth ministers up and down the nation. And I said to them, look, it's not about the letters that you now have the right to have at the end of your name. It's not about that. Those things aren't going to save us. Just because you have a degree and perhaps are able to earn more money, it's not money in the bank that saves us. It's not the fact that you may have a big house and you have more rooms to your your name. It's not about that. None of that is going to save us. When the Son of Man returns, what will he find Will he find faith in you and and in me? Now that thought will either comfort you or absolutely terrify you. And so it should. It'll comfort those of us who know that we're saved, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Or it'll terrify some of us, those of us who realise that there is nothing actually I can do that will save myself. I wonder if anyone like that is here today. And that's why Jesus in this parable is encouraging us to be persistent because he's telling us in doing that to focus on the one true thing that is God. Why faff around with all this artificial temporary stuff, idols that we create for ourselves in life? None of that will save us. Don't waste your time uh, being persistent with people and things that have no regard or compassion like the unjust judge or eternal influence on your life. Don't bother with those things. We need to ask the question, when Jesus returns, what will he find in me? Will he find a persistent follower? You see... When we put it into perspective, God quite literally gave everything for us. His son, Jesus Christ. And surely the least we can do is give him our persistence in prayer. Because it's only through that relationship that we have with him that we get to know him as the all loving, generous, gracious and forgiving nature that he possesses of what we've just read in Psalm 103. So, what marks followers of Jesus as people of faith? It's followers who are people of prayer. And Jesus models this so beautifully. Um, just in the in the previous chapter, Luke, uh, sorry, in John 17. In this, in this um, scenario, Jesus is praying with his, his disciples. And what he's doing is he's praying for his disciples, that, but then he prays for believers. And that's me and that's you. Jesus here is praying for me and for you. And why would he do that? Because his heart is for a relationship with your heart one that will last forever. And we have this immense privilege and opportunity to know God's heart through prayer. That's why this parable is so important for us to understand today. Because it's a clear message that God isn't someone who's against us. He's someone who's completely for us. And yes, we may contribute Sadly, unfortunately, to the injustices in this world and God forgive us for those things. But God's nature, as we've been reading, is always to have mercy because his love is so vast for us. So much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for me and for you. There's a a story which I just want to briefly read you. And it just sums up and puts this into perspective very simply. There was once um, a boy or a young man, say he was 18 years old, and he'd done something pretty terrible and he got arrested and he got summoned to court. And um, the judge uh, slammed down the gavel and said, right, you are guilty as charged. You've got to pay £500 pounds for what you've done. And in that moment, as the officers were preparing uh, to take uh, the criminal uh, young man away, the judge stood up in their place, and the judge took off his robe, and he made his way down, to where the criminal was stood and he gave him 500 pound cash. You see the judge made sure that justice was served but he paid the price himself so that the young man didn't have to and that's what Jesus has done for us in dying on the cross. He's paid the price that we deserved, so that we don't have to. You see, this story of the persistent widow is simply a call for us, for me and for you to come into relationship with Jesus. Are you in relationship with Jesus? And if you're not... Perhaps you've been overwhelmed today with the wonder of a God who is compassionate and gracious and loves you to bits. And I'll end with this question. When Jesus comes back, what will he find? Will he find faith? And think about that and answer it seriously, because Jesus is coming back. Amen.